Welcome to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Griego-Kyle on behalf of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, I discuss sustainable impact investing, how to create portfolios that match your values, and a variety of other topics such as financial education, environmental sustainability, social justice, and sustainable food systems. Do you want to know if your investments seek the kind of accountability from corporations that you demand? Listen in as I explore the burning question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Greg O'Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. Kim, what is going on? Well, I have a new feature to share with our listeners today. A new feature? A new feature. <laughs> like to get a third arm? Well, <laughs> not that kind of feature. No. Okay. No, no. And uh, and I have all my toes still, so it doesn't have anything to do with that. Uh, I decided that once per quarter, I wanted to do an episode called Tidbits with Kim. Okay. And yeah, it, it the idea here is that I'm going to share four or five interesting topics, ideas, urgent action items those types of things all related to sustainable impact investing and uh, working towards a more sustainable economy. And the reason is it, it, most of these uh, tidbits that I'm going to share with you are not really long enough for a full podcast, mm -hmm. but they're important. And I want to share it with the listeners. Yeah, no, I love this. This is fantastic. Great idea. Yeah. So I didn't tell you what they were because I want you to hear it and get your reaction. All right. I have no but idea. I know. <laughs> well, let's talk about what's first. Okay. So the first one is um, uh, Greenfin Weekly had an article this morning about the stricter requirements for vehicles in California. Um, those requirements you may know are much stricter than what the federal government has. Mm -hmm. um, but on top of that, which we think is Fabulous is that 14 other states copy those um, automobile standards, but two legislatures in California have proposed two new bills that are aimed at corporate climate accountability. And again, much tougher than anything that our federal government has put out there. All right. You're right. So uh, back, back in the, back in the day, <laughs> back in the, the Trump administration, um, that administration went after the California standards and trying to push California to back off and reduce their high standards. Um, they didn't get very far, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. um, they were not able to make much headway in reducing those standards on emissions. And what we know is that car companies, they know how to make fuel efficient and zero emission cars. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but the problem is, is that customers aren't buying enough of them. We wonder why um, it, it's it has to do with Americans. <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking. Side note, um, I just got a new car. Really? Um, yes. I, you know, we sold my car when we moved to Oregon. And mm -hmm. so I had to order this car. It's a um, RAV4 Prime, which is a plug in hybrid. So the first 40 miles that I drive are all electric. Pure electric. Yes. Okay. 
And if I go over that and, you know, without plugging it in again, then it'll just move to gas. And I have to tell you, I've had the car for a month. I haven't filled the gas tank yet. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, in the <laughs> community that you're in, I mean, you're not, you haven't taken any, obviously long distance trips in it. So that's fantastic. Right. right. Well, we, you know, I drive about 30 minutes to go see my mom. So it's, you know, significant, but still I'm like, this is great. So I don't understand why Americans are not back to buying or, you know, really looking at these more fuel efficient cars. Um, they have this love and uh, a hunger, I guess, for for SUVs and large pickup trucks. And, you know, it's it's amazing to me how many different types of pickup trucks are out there. So let me um, let me say this because yeah. I'm, I'm I'm not going to play devil's advocate, but um, number one, my daughter bought a, we call it a hybrid. Let's call it a hybrid, a Honda, yeah. in, a Honda Insight, a 2020 Honda Insight. And in town, this sucker gets like 50 miles to the gallon because it's not, it doesn't do pure electric. Well, actually it does. You can put it in the EV mode and it'll be electric as long as it can until it needs to kick the engine on for one reason or another. And right. it'll turn the engine back off again. Uh, and you be in pure electric mode, but that's why it gets, you know, 50 to 55 miles to the gallon in town when you take it on the highway. Cause we just, we drove it to Texas and back just about a month and a half ago. Um, it actually gets lower gas mileage on the highway compared mm. to other, you know, how it's usually reversed. Right? right. But because you're going at higher speeds, it needs to use the engine instead of the, the, the motors. Exactly. And that's great. And I don't know if it's Americans not liking that kind of thing because we love it. But my daughter's in a position where she could afford a $24,000 used car. And I don't think mm -hmm. most people are. Right. right. A lot of these electric vehicles, I have had my eye on getting a Tesla. And, and now, I mean, that was because Tesla was basically the main thing out there. But right. now there are so many other companies that are doing it. But when I look at those price tags, Kim. They can be high. They, they're very Absolutely. high. They're, right. they're out of my range at this point, quite honestly. It's, it's just out of my range at this point. So, and I don't want to say settling because that Honda Insight is a fabulous car. We, we've loved right. it. Um, well, look at it this way. Mm -hmm. If you say you buy a new vehicle, either electric hybrid or full electric, you might spend $100 more a month or $150 more a month on that payment if you finance it. And right, it's not the day of the 0% financing mm -hmm. automobiles anymore, mm -hmm. but it still isn't terrible. How much do you spend if you're driving, even if you're driving long distances, how much do you spend on gas? Well, Most people spend yeah. more than $100. Correct. Absolutely. But I, I would just, my only pushback would be the the initial cost. For those that are buying brand new vehicles, I mm -hmm. absolutely agree with that thinking. People in my circle are not buying brand new vehicles that are 50 to you know $90,000. Yeah. Um, they're, they're buying something that's going to be 30,000 probably at most. And right. I, I just, I just average, you know, the average American where they're at. I think that the folks that can spend the money should, and and that's exactly what my daughter did. She's like, I, I want right. a car that's around 20, $25,000. And I want it to be as, as fuel efficient and eco-friendly as possible. And it, this actually Yay. rates you, rates you after you drive like a video game. I think that's fantastic. Oh my God. <laughs> 
great. He's like, you did Here's great. How you're I'm like, driving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So I would, I would love that feedback when I'm driving. You did great. <laughs> I, Ken. I get feedback too, but it's usually slow down, take those corners. It's my wife. She's just sitting next to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> giving me that feedback. Well, you know, I was talking about the trucks and, and I, we also have a pickup truck. Mm -hmm. um, it was the only vehicle we had for a while and we had it before because we had a farm. Yeah. So it made sense. Anyway, we're going down a rabbit hole that I didn't intend to, but Sorry. it's also, it's no, it's totally fault. fine. It's important information. I, I want to go back to what California is doing on seeking the passage of these two bills. Mm -hmm. um, they, they would mandate um, a better emission disclosure of corporations and the climate risk of financial institutions. So what does that mean? Right. Um, the first one is the corporate climate data accountability act. And What's what would happen with this is it would give California more insight and control over climate change risks. So the, this one, the Corporate Climate Data Accountability, which is SB 253, in case someone wants to look it up and follow it, it would require all U.S. businesses with over a billion in annual revenue that do business in California to disclose their scope one, two, and three GHG emissions, greenhouse gas emissions. And these disclosures must be independently verified by the state's emission registry or an approved third-party third vendor. Um, so you might ask, what, I was are, say, what is... yep, what are scope one, two, and yes. three emissions? The simplest explanation is scope one covers direct emissions from owned or controlled sources. So your output of electricity what's coming out of your car or trucking vehicles, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Scope two covers indirect emissions from the generation of purchased electricity, steam, heating, cooling, um, that are consumed by the reporting company. So what they're taking in. Scope three includes all other indirect emissions that occur in a company's value chain. So all mm. down the chain, right? And scope three is what we have a lot of people pushing to be disclosed by corporations. And they're really pushing back because it's going to have to um, require them to do a little bit of work. Now, the second bill that's out there is the Climate Related Financial Risk Act, which is SB 261. This would require non-insurance so it's, they're not talking about insurance institutions, but um, U.S. financial entities with revenues in, in excess of half of five hundred million uh, that do business in California, of course, of course, to prepare a climate-related financial risk report that discloses the entity's climate-related financial risks. In addition, covered entities would be required to disclose measures adopted to reduce and adapt to climate-related financial risk disclosures. This, I think, is a little more complicated when you're talking about a financial institu institution that needs to explain and disclose, I think for a lot of people I have to explain, what the financial risks are in terms of being involved with certain companies. So banks, financial institutions are lending money, that kind of thing. They're going to have to disclose the the financial risk of any company that gets a loan from that financial institution. It's a lot. Hmm. Yeah. And that I think seems, it's going to be a harder push. 
Yeah. I mean, that, wow, that that seems pretty in depth. I mean, it is. And I think it's something that we have to move towards, not just in California, but, you know, California is the fourth largest economy in the world or something like that. And, you know, and and all of these businesses can't afford to not do business in California Mm -hmm. and California knows it. So if they can lead the way on these issues, then maybe we will see a larger governmental change. Well, I mean, they've they've led the way on lots of issues so far because, you know, I'm in Nebraska and I've seen it when I've lived in other states. Some of the products that I buy say, you know, I don't mm. know, ingredients in this product have been known to cause cancer or in, right. in California. Right, in the state of California. Right? In California, <laughs> right? So they're they're doing, in my opinion, more research, more, and they they have stricter rules and laws, which I think is really good, especially when it comes to, you know, cancer causing things or risk, right. like you're talking about. Climate change, financial Emissions, risk. Con- yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, I found that super, super interesting. I did not know about those two bills in the California legislator this session. Part two, let's talk about the next one. Uh, A New York Times correspondent um, whose name is Somini Sagupta. Hopefully I didn't butcher that. Um, They penned an article titled Climate Forward. And it's in the New York Times. Like I said, it may be available for subscribers only, but I think a lot of these um, papers allow you to read one or two free a month. Mm -hmm. So I'd like you to take a look at it. I'd like listeners to take a look at it. But oh my gosh, she is really hitting hard on the wealthy, specifically the wealthy in the US. In her article, the basic premise is sharing information about CO2 emissions and the disparity among usage uh, in income groups. So we have the largest income bracket, and then we have so many in the smallest income bracket, right? Mm-hmm. So carbon uh, or CO2 emissions are are distributed, distributed very unevenly across the world, um, across income levels. And um, I, I don't know if this is something you've thought about at all, but it's much like the disparity of wealth and the consumption of, of goods and services. So when we're talking about emissions that vary across countries and across generations even um, it's so much more there in income brackets let's go back to 2021 Um, the average north american citizen emitted 11 times more energy related carbon emissions than the average african makes sense Mm -hmm. um but th- there's also a variation among income groups where that disparity is even more significant. So let's talk about the top 1% of emitters globally. Each of that those in the top 1% had a carbon footprint of over 50 tons of CO2 in 2021. Each person. Which is more than a thousand times greater than those in the bottom 1% of emitters. Now, are they, what is that taking into consideration, Kim? Because I'm not quite clear. Is it just their lifestyle? Or are they talking about it's, their businesses that they own? Or are they talking it, about... It's everything. It's their carbon footprint. So what does your carbon footprint include? It includes your home, your automobile. Um, you know, Do you have a burn barrel out back? You know, All of those things. So it's taking into account 
all of your carbon footprint. A private jet. Yep. Got it. Yeah. So the top 10% of emitters, they span across all continents. Around 85% of them live in what we would call advanced economies, um, U.S., Europe, actually even China now um, are all included in that. And this article has a few charts that are amazing, and they show the astonishingly large footprint of the wealthy in the United States. So hold on here. Um, even in the lowest income brackets in the U.S., we produce a lot of climate pollution mm -hmm. relative to everyone else in the world. So I don't want to just bag on the the wealthy in the U.S. It's really everyone in the U.S. Um, when she talked about the bottom 10% of emitters globally, uh, they're, of course, you know, I say, of course, because I think it's semi-obvious, they're living in developing economies like Africa and much of Asia where they're consuming relatively small amounts of goods and services. And in many cases, they don't even have electricity mm -hmm. um, and clean cooking, but that's still part of their carbon footprint. If they're burning dung, if they're burning, you know, uh, scavenged wood, that kind of thing, it all uh, relates to their carbon footprint. But we have to talk about <laughs> the U S which uh, most of our, you, our electricity comes from sources that are, relatively carbon intensive, mm -hmm. right? Oil, gas, um, coal, all of yeah. those things. So I was thinking about this and it, I, I really was getting into it and, and <laughs> reading it and it sent me down all these rabbit holes. And I, I thought, whoops, this could have been a full podcast mm. if I took a really deep dive into the topic. Um, it because it kind of blew up for me <laughs> when I was looking at it. But so stay tuned for more on the subject. Um, I, I want to talk more about that uh, down the road on a different podcast. And All the right. bottom line to the story here that um, the author has written is that a relatively small number of people could make a massive difference if they were to, to reduce their overall emissions. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's interesting um, to read. And, and again, my opinion is we can't expect the poorest nations to lead the way. Um, we need to help them. But hello, United States and other um, North American and uh, well-to-do countries. You got to get this this ball rolling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Part three. And before I dive into to why eggs are so expensive, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have to share with you, Eric, and the listeners that I will be getting some plant-based cheese in my food delivery box this week. Really? It's a cheddar. Yeah. Plant-based cheese. Um, we order our food, most of our food, um, through Misfits Markets. So they take a lot of... Um, uh, you know, cast off foods and things like that, that, and throw them together. So you never know what's going to be available, but you can pick what you want. I love it. So they have, um, <laughs> it had some plant-based cheese. Uh, and, and again, with the previous promise we had from Elizabeth Alfano of VegTech, mm -hmm. the quality is getting better, right? So I'm going to report back to you. Yeah. I'm the still next looking podcast. for the cheese tree and the, and yep. the meat tree. I'm going to let you know if I found the cheese tree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, so let's go back to why are eggs so expensive? What do you think? Why? 
because yeah. the chickens have been striking. They're 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 protesting. Um, and no, well, I know that almost, well, almost a lot of them have been dying, unfortunately, yes. because of the bird flu. And and there right. have been last I saw it was like I think it was four billion, if I'm not mistaken. It was a b- billion with a B. I know that, but I think it was about four billion chickens had to be destroyed, not uh, processed. That, well, yeah. So. Yeah, there's a big bird flu, right? It started mm-hmm. in 2022. Um, according to the CDC, it's 58 million birds have been killed. Oh, okay. Wait, listen, I thought. Yeah, well, but still 58, 58 million, million is, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does yeah. it matter if it's a, a B or an M in there? <laughs> yeah, that's it's a, a lot huge of birds. number, right? And, and, it, and it, also, it comes down to supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And the supply is really low. I was thinking about this when we had our little farm or farmette. Um, and we had our chickens and we would sell the most amazingly good tasting eggs for $5 a dozen. And now that's what they cost in the grocery store Yeah, for, the for a factory ones. farm one. Right. Yeah. And uh, this is the other interesting piece to this is the CDC says that this bird flu has only passed to one human since it started. So that's good news, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. I don't want to get a bird flu. Uh, it, but it continues to emphasize uh, the pressure we see on food supplies and, and food chain and food systems. So directly yeah. quoted from our friend Elizabeth Alfano, if you remember, I know you remember the podcast Absolutely. with her. It was, uh, we did a double header, episodes 78 and 79. So if you are a listener and you haven't heard Elizabeth on the podcast, please go back and listen to those two. Directly quoted from her, the more the current food supply system is impacted by inflation, pandemics, child labor scandals, supply and labor shortages, and contamination, the more consumers and governments will demand better and drive and fund innovation for a more secure and safe food supply system. You know, we have to start thinking about those things on a higher level and how a bird pandemic, basically a flu pandemic amongst mm-hmm. the birds, is affecting our food supply. So if there's a lack of eggs in the system, then it's going to be difficult to create a lot of other products that are generally out there in oh, the yeah. market that contain egg, right? So it's really messing up the supply chain. Beyond our current chicken egg crisis, <laughs> you know, we also know that animal pandemics can pass to humans. Mm-hmm. And again, as I said, as of February 15th, there was only one case of, of, of it transmitting, this particular one transmitting to humans. But according to the United Nations, that is likely to be the number one cause of the next pandemic. Some sort of animal pandemic passing to humans. Really? Right. So that was kind of shocking. I'm like, the United Nations said that? And, oh, crazy. And it's it's caused, um, you know, we know that the pandemic caused devastating job loss and um, devastation to job markets in general. It whacked our economy, the global food supply system. You and I were just talking offline about how it affected our children. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to we don't want to see that again. I know I don't want to be locked in my house again. Yeah. You know, so we have to really think about these things. Um, Yeah. 
I just You're yeah. say something. No, I, well, I, one of the things that you said earlier uh, that, that ties into all this is um, her quote, right? The, the different mm-hmm. things that she stated. And I wish, I really wish that people, I wish it would bother people more. Let me put it that way. Because yes. the, the, some of the photos came out because it, it was part of the problem was here in Nebraska mm-hmm. about child labor. Yes. They had pictures of kids in slaughterhouses. I was just going to say that, that, oh my gosh, that upset me so much. Oh, I was infuriated. Mm -hmm. And you you know, my past, you know, I've worked with kids for a long time. Right. Just, oh, like, you know, I have no problem with, with kids working with their parents, you know, out, you know, gardening and learning things and so on and so forth, but to have them in unsafe situations or force them to, um, that says a lot about a, the company, and I'm mm-hmm. just not even going to say any more about that because we all know what that means. Right. Uh, but the, the situation, maybe their parents are in, maybe they needed them to work to make a wage. That means they're not getting paid enough. That means they're not able to live without that, without that Extra child's income. income. You know, it, it, there's so many things that that does. And I think most people, and I don't want to speak disparagingly about my fellow American here, but I think most people will look at that and go, oh man, that's a shame. Yep. Ooh, what, what did Garfield do today? <laughs> Oh, they turn the page. Yeah, they right? do. Like, they read the know, article and they go, oh my God, that's horrible. Yeah. And then they don't think about it again because some other news topic comes on top of that and seems more relevant. Yeah. But this is relevant to us. You yeah. know, we thought, we, the big we, that child labor practices were only in third world countries. Or in the 20s. Right. Right in the 20s here. Before we had labor laws. Yeah. Uh, No, it's happening everywhere. And you know, this is just one company that got caught. There's probably many others. And that is a horrendous thought. Um, You know, if one of those children had been killed, um, would we have known about it? Uh, What Mm -hmm. are they being exposed to? You know, it's just, it could go on and on. And, you know, it's a problem in our food supply. You know how I care so much about food systems. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Well, it's, it's the same thing. I, just like you said, would we know if, if a, a child got harmed, injured, or killed? We don't know when a migrant is harmed, injured, or killed because mm-hmm. the, the, the company or the place that they're working, if they can get away with it not being reported, nobody's going to quote unquote miss them because they're not on any documentation a lot of times. Right. And that exactly. is just horrendous. And it's just a inhumane period. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. So there we have um, inflation, pandemics, child labor scandals, labor shortages. Nobody wants to work. That's why they're hiring children, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, to do those dirty jobs. And uh, honestly, it should be a cleaner, um, better process. But again, I don't really know how you process a chicken or a piece of beef. So I can't really speak to that. So what does this have to do with beyond being upset, <laughs> you know, and inflamed enough to talk about it. Um, we, you know, we have to put more pressure on the people who are responsible for our current food supply systems. And we have to push for more innovation. And I, I will say, I do agree with Elizabeth that we have to, to push for the innovation in plant-based foods. Not that we expect everyone to eat plant-based foods all the time, but you're already eating a lot of plant-based foods, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's just a matter of 
creating those tasty varietals. <laughs> or the or the, what she was talking about, which was probably, I mean, it was fascinating to me, but probably speaks more my language than plant-based foods. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love a salad. I love a robust, huge salad, and I'll eat that right. all day long. However, the, when she was saying that they could create meat that's actually meat. Yep. I thought, and, and no animals harmed in that, and no animal has to be raised to be slaughtered for that. And it just like, it's like 3D printing real meat. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'm you know, if, <laughs> I, I was just thinking, you know, all, like all innovation, um, they can make life better for consumers. Mm-hmm. And, and this, this particular innovation process, um, if it's adopted, it probably will. Um, you know, we're, we won't even talk about the conditions of animals cause we've done that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, really honestly, it can help eliminate the risk of some pandemics if we're not having, I mean, the, the reason the bird flu spreads so virulently is because they're crammed into little tight cages and they don't have room to spread around just like with COVID um, where we had to social distance, you can't social distance a chicken. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really hard to mask those little suckers. Yes, it is. Have you ever put, um, they don't have ears. Have you ever put a a jacket (laughs) on a chicken? I can honestly yes. say I've never put a jacket <laughs> yeah. on a chicken. So I, I'm trying to think of what they're called, but they're these um, these little uh, aprons that you put, but they go on the back of the chicken and it keeps the um, roosters from uh, clawing them when they jump on them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's really hard to get those on. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I digress. Now I'm going to be looking for a video <laughs> of that. I just got to. Oh, I gotta know. there are. Oh, yes. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, innovation also provides efficiency and cost savings eventually, because that's one of the complaints we hear about um, plant-based foods is they're expensive. Uh, and they can be. Uh, it is coming down. I've noticed the prices are coming down. And, you know, it's, if we look just specifically at um, trying to find in my notes where it, it shows this, but uh, okay, here we go. So um Plant uh, Beyond Meat, the plant-based burger, uses 99% less water than a a regular beef burger, Mm -hmm. 93% less land, emits 90% fewer greenhouse gas emissions, and uses 46% less energy than a traditional quarter-pound beef burger. And uh, Beyond Meat tastes delicious. It It has the texture of ground beef. It's, it's, I was amazed the first time I had it, but let me me ask you this. Is is that what the like unbelievable Whopper was made of? Is that that same company? uh, Yeah, I think so. I, I, I can't remember the last time I ate at a Burger King, but yeah, yeah. I, I I just happened to see it. I was like, I'll give it a try. It was good. It was actually pretty good. I'll be honest. I, I, and I think, um, it's, uh, a donut place, um, that a very well-known donut place, right? <laughs> the Dunkin' Donuts, um, who serves the plant, the, I think it's Beyond Meats uh, sausage. Oh. And one of their sausage, sausage breakfast things. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's available and, you know, they don't charge any more for that. So we know that the cost is certainly coming down. Yeah. Anyway, um, you can find this article. I got some of this information from uh, Elizabeth on her LinkedIn page for veg, veg tech invest. So she really has her thumb on this plant-based food market. 
Yeah. Now I was going to hopefully get into a part four and part five, but we're kind of out of time and that's cool. You know, it's, it's great to really get into talking about these things. And I guess, you know, really it comes down to, we have to find a more efficient way and better way of processing our food. Yeah. I want to be sharing these new snippets from you. And I was thinking I would talk about stuff that happened over the last three months. Those were literally all this week in the last wow. seven days. Yeah. And so I didn't have to go back very far to find a bunch of snippets on on stuff. So if you, the listener, really want to keep up with the sustainability trends, be sure to like and share and subscribe to this podcast, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and, and then you'll hear more, more than just tidbits, because we do tend to get in the weeds and get deep on some things. Yeah. If you also are interested in how any of this can affect your investment portfolio, which it does, uh, please give Johan Klassen at Horizons Sustainable Financial Services a call at 505-982-9661 or email him at info at horizonssfs.com. Yeah, absolutely. So there we are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that people just need to recognize, again, what they truly believe in, what they want to support, and when they begin to realize that. I mean, there's been a lot of talk of cancel culture, right? I mean, that was the, right. the big theme for the last few years. But honestly, this this company that was employing small children mm. to do work on their slaughterhouse floor, they should be canceled, quote unquote, right? It's yes. Period. I, I think anybody, any company that buys from them should say, that's unbelievable. Those are terrible business practices. We'll no longer buy anything from you. I think that consumers that that realize where that meat goes and you know the companies that it goes to, they should not frequent them if the company decides, no, nah, that's fine. Well, <laughs> we're still going buy, right. to buy from you, right? <laughs> yeah. And if we do that on a little by little basis, I mean, you've, you've talked about this before. I'm not, I'm not saying anything new on this podcast. Support what you believe in. Stop supporting things that you know are, are detrimental to children or families or um, anybody. The planet. That, yeah, right? the planet, period. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I, I love that. And yes, um, I'll be saying like, share and follow in a moment uh, because that, that's a great way. Um, yeah. Did you give the phone number out already? I did, but I'll okay. give it again. One more time. Yeah, so I... yeah, the office number is 505-982-9661. Fantastic. Kim, thank yeah. you. Thanks, Eric, for Love joining this new me. section. I know. I'm, I will do it every quarter, but we could probably do it every week. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It'll be good. Yeah. Next time we're going to be more positive. That's right. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. You're right. I wasn't very positive today. And well, I'm no, sorry. but it's important. But I, you yeah. know, we, we, we like the, you know, we like some good news sprinkled in there too. So, yep. next podcast, good news. Next one, good All news right. for sure. Thanks. All right. All right. Thank you, Kim. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. You bet. And our last thank you always goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Grego Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle the sustainable, responsible, impact investing podcast, reminding you that it's time to invest like you give a damn.
If you have questions about this podcast or topics you'd like to hear addressed on an upcoming podcast, please email me at kim at griego-kyle.com. That's G-R-I-E-G-O hyphen K-I-E-L dot com. Or give Horizons a call at 505-982-9661 and be sure to ask for Johan Klassen. Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available and to share this podcast with colleagues, friends, and family. The companies I may speak about during the podcast are not recommendations for investment. Only you and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you. Kimberly Griego Kyle produces this podcast on behalf of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. is a registered investment advisor registered with the SEC. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. and its financial professionals do not render tax or legal advice. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. None of this content may be used or duplicated without the express written agreement of the podcast host.